Jake's Farming Now Podcast with your host, Jake Solomon. All right, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Look Who's Bombing Now podcast. Very special guest today. He is a software executive. He's a former manager of the Louis Anderson. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Gilbertson on the line. Dave, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jake. Great to be here. Yeah, so let's just get right into it. What, when, how did you get started in, in stand-up? What was the kind of motivating factor for you to get started? Yeah, so my path into stand-up was, I think, really consistent with pretty much everyone else's path, where I ended up sitting right next to Louis Anderson on an airplane, and, and that took <laughs> off everything. <laughs> of course, we've all been so there. Really typical. Just, yeah, yeah, totally typical. No, it was a crazy thing. I was working with a private equity firm, oddly enough. Um, where there was not a lot of comedy. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. And I live in, I lived just outside of Boston, was commuting to LA every week, but I grew up in North Dakota. And so was heading home for the holidays and uh, we had like a two hour flight delay. And uh, I ran into Pamela Anderson uh, in like in the gate area, kind of on the way to the, and then I get in line and I sit down on the plane and I'm sitting right next to Louis Anderson. And I'm like, that is in a really short period of time, right? yeah. remarkably short period of time. We had like a two hour flight delay and I'm like, all right, well, I grew up watching Louie on the Tonight Show and, and all of the specials. And I'm like, you can't really go anywhere. So I'm just going to start talking to him. And we had a great conversation about, uh, about stand-up, about family. He mentioned that he was working on a book at the time called The F Word, How to Survive Your Family. Um, <laughs> and was looking for some help on it. And so... We just continued the conversation, and honestly, the conversation didn't really stop for the next twenty years. Um, it was just, it was, it was so much fun. We, I, after we got off the plane, he invited me to a show that he was doing in New Year's. He used to do big show every year in Minneapolis um, on New Year's Eve, and get like five thousand people there. And I was a big deal in, in the Twin Cities, and he was doing it with Roseanne Barr that year. So, like, come hang out before the show. We'll talk about the book, and then. Um, and then you go to the show. And so I did. And then we just kind of kept talking about the book. So when I was back in LA, we kind of kept hanging out. And then he was hosting uh, the family feud at the time. And he was leaving the family feud about the same time that I was going to be leaving my, uh, my job. I knew I had about a year or so before going to business school. I'm like, and he was looking for a new manager. He left, left his manager after, uh, after leaving the feud and wanted me to do the tour. Because uh, the the uh, the F word was going to be coming out, and he's going to do a whole a whole national tour around it. I'm like you know what, that's a pretty hard offer to refuse. And it ended up being just a fantastic experience. Louis like could not have been nicer. Um, I learned so much from him. I ended up going to business school a year later. I've been a software executive for the last fifteen to twenty years. But I learned more in that year with Louie than I have in all the years since about leadership specifically. Um, it was just, it was cool to see, uh, it was cool to see the funny business. <laughs> like, yeah. For someone that's just always been a real fan of comedy, it was really cool to see uh, the funny business up close and see how it worked. I spent a bunch of time in Vegas, a bunch of time in LA, and uh, just to kind of see how somebody at that level operates was, was a ton of fun. Um, and then after the, the tour ended, we had become really close friends. So we just kind of kept in touch. He was always encouraging me uh, to get up on stage. And so while I was in business school in New Hampshire, I ended up getting up on stage a few times. 
and uh, I, I formed a like a, a stand up um, event at my business mm-hmm. school, and it that was what fifteen, almost like seventeen years ago, and that that event is still going. We called it the Frosty Jester, wow. and the Frosty Jester <laughs> was still going. So it was a way for me to get some stage time and as friendly an audience as you could possibly have, right? My classmates could not have been more supportive. And there was a bunch of folks in business school, you know, kind of type A personalities that always have thought they're funny. And right. then they get up on stage to realize, oh, you know what, maybe not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's kind of humbling for all of us. Um, but so it was a fantastic did, experience. I just kind did, of kept at it. Did you, um, the first time you ever got on stage, was it after you created that show? Or did you maybe do like an open mic first? And then you're like, well, I want to have something consistent that I can do. Did that happen after that first show? Yeah, I know. I, so I created the show. I had worked on material with Louie for, uh, for a while. And man, we spent countless hours, you know, driving from Vegas to LA in the middle of the night or, um, you know, traveling from, I don't know, Louisiana to LA, like wherever it was, we just spent countless hours talking about how jokes are formed and the cadence and kind of coming up with a beginning, middle and an end, uh, like where to, how, where to find the funny. And so mm-hmm. I got up for the first time at, at one of these shows. And then after that, I just kind of started looking around for different places where I could just get stage time. It was, this was kind of, uh, you know, in the woods in New Hampshire. So it wasn't <laughs> real easy to find. Um, but it was, I knew that that was the only way that I was going to, you know, get to any kind of level where, I could feel like, you know, just a small sliver of what Louis feels on stage. Um, and my, my ultimate goal was, I, I only had one goal in standup, which was always to be able to open for Louis. Um, I, like, I didn't, I didn't want to do it professionally. I didn't, uh, like, I knew that that wasn't the direction I wanted to head, but I felt like being able to get up on stage and figure out how to move an audience would help me as, a, as an executive, as a leader, as a father from a communication standpoint. And, uh, and I thought it could be a lot of fun, really, really painful along the way. It turns out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was, there are those yeah. moments that are a lot of fun. I want to dive into the pain part. Uh, what, what would you, for the first, uh, first maybe mic or show that you did, uh, well, I'm curious, did you have any background being on stage also for the viewers out there? Dave has also done a Ted talk like your boy, uh, we're Ted talk bros. So uh, but prior, <laughs> prior to your first show of doing comedy, did you have any public speaking experience? Um, I know that you, you know, working as a software exec, I'm sure you're used to doing presentations, but did you have any real public yeah. speaking experience, even writing your own, um, material as well? Yeah, I, I did actually. So that's why when I, when I left the private equity firm, I knew I wanted to spend that year in communication somewhere. Um, and I had spent a good amount of time with the radio station in North Dakota, um, it was the craziest thing. But while I was in college, I just started interviewing celebrities just because I was kind of curious. And I'd show up in the most random places and then I'd record it and beam it back to this radio station in North Dakota, right? So you'd hear like the, the Dalai Lama brushing me off on a radio station in North Dakota at seven in the morning. <laughs> like, there some just totally random things there. But I really had a lot of fun with it. The guys who were hosting the radio show just let me kind of do whatever I wanted to do and uh, say that I was with them. And if I was getting in trouble, then they'd deny it. And if it was pretty harmless, then they'd, uh, they'd agree. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had that radio experience, which was a lot of fun. I had also written a book. Um, I had spent a couple of years in, in minor league baseball. And um, I had written a book called Baseball in the Badlands, Stale Beers and Stale Careers. 
Uh, there was a lot of both in, in the minor league that I was, uh, that I was a part of. Um, I played one inning of professional baseball. So I had the shortest career in the history of professional baseball. And I retired after that because I just wasn't that good. Oh, um, so you knew that was a peak for you and yeah. you were out. Oh, yeah. No, there was no question. Yeah, I called up to the press box after the first yeah. game and announced my retirement. <laughs> and everyone was fine with that. That's the only yeah, time yeah. I got a, a final yeah. applause. Oh, that's beautiful. Look at that. So, no, so I, I had done the book. I had done this radio. Um, I had never gotten on stage um, in a comedy capacity, but I had been around it for, for a long time. So, like, I was excited to get up there. Um, and I thought, like I said, in, in business school, I could not have found a more welcoming audience. Right. So the material right. wasn't, wasn't perfectly formed. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't fantastic when I first started doing it, but it was a really forgiving audience. Um, and that helped with the confidence that helped with the delivery. It just, it just helped with everything, um, yeah. really quickly. And then shortly after that, I found a one nighter that was going on, uh, near, near where I was living every week, um, and uh went in and, and offered to host so i just started hosting that just to get some stage time every week um and i did that for a couple of years it was i didn't tell any of my uh classmates that i was doing it because i mm-hmm. knew that it would be dangerous but yeah <laughs> um but it was great just to get that stage time absolutely so how um I, i'm curious kind of um well one it's also i feel like it's pretty rare to be starting a comedy with um like a supportive audience like that's not oh, like yeah you think yeah. too common <laughs> i recognize so, that fully yeah 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 and especially sure. like you didn't yeah. maybe you got heckled but maybe it didn't matter to you or at least people were kind of along for the yeah. ride a little bit so it, like they were very gentle which is always nice especially when you're starting yeah out. yeah um, that's exactly right yeah yeah I, i'm curious though how long it took because you you did eventually get to open for louis how long was that process mm-hmm. and was it did you did he treat you like, uh, was he like your kind of uh, like manager in an office kind of, you guys have weekly uh, one-on-ones like, yeah, Dave, you're still not funny. You're still not funny. And then maybe yeah. fourth quarter comes around. Just one day, all of a sudden it's like, you're funny all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it wasn't quite like that. It was more like, he was really proud of me and he was uh, just for getting up there. I think I, so I didn't get heckled by my classmates. I think it was because they knew I, I would call them up on stage. If they did, <laughs> none of them wanted to do it. Um, and so then when I started doing these one-nighters, there I absolutely got heckled. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, and so, you know, you kind of learn how to, how to deal with some of that. And Louis was great about uh, giving me some advice on how to, how to deal with hecklers as well. So um, after I had been doing it probably four-ish years, uh, he was really generous with feedback every time I mean, I'd tape every show and then every set and, he, and he'd listen to it and, and provide feedback. And, um, and then eventually I sent him, I think it was like a text message or something when, uh, he was a big, uh, Minnesota Vikings fan. And when Brett Favre retired and then came back and the Vikings signed him, mm-hmm. um, I just sent him a text or something saying, you know, the Vikings were so lucky. They signed Brett Favre just before the, government stopped the cash for clunkers program because they used yeah. to <laughs> they had a program where they were buying old cars for mm-hmm. next to nothing but just to just to get them off the streets and yeah. so i sent that text and he called me back he's like you know what that's actually a really good line i never use other people's jokes but yeah. would you mind if i just threw it out there in a show yeah. and he called me about two weeks later he's like i am so frustrated right now but i had to tell you because you deserve the credit for it and I, there was this table like 
down to the right. I could not get the one guy to laugh at all. He was just sitting there like arms crossed, like his face was saying, he could care less. And so finally, Louis was trying everything. And finally, he comes out with that line about Brett Favre, the past performance program. <laughs> and he said, all of a sudden, he hears in that same spot, I guess that guy is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I, like, I was so furious because I was working the whole show to get yep. that one guy to laugh. And it was your joke that did it. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, sports can and either so- divide the room or bring it together. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And anytime he's performing in Minnesota, he knows exactly which buttons yep. to push when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. Right? Yep. <laughs> There's no <laughs> question. And so at that point, he said, oh, you're, you're a, a really good writer. You kind of developed into a really good writer. If you'd like to open for me in Vegas, um, I'd, love to, I'd love to have you. And he was performing at the Excalibur at the time. So right in the strip uh, in Vegas, he had a permanent residency there. And it took me about two seconds to, uh, to snatch that up. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's schedule it. Like I, I will, I'll put in any work needed just to, to kind of train, to get to Vegas, knowing that that's kind of, it was like marathon training basically. So I went to every single open mic I could find, um, at, like every week, I was just getting as much stage time as I could. My wife was actually pregnant with her first uh, son at the time. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot going on at home, a lot going on at work. It was kind of at that point in my career was I was, where I was starting to accelerate. And I'm like, this is important. I, I really want to do this as uh, just kind of a feather in my cap. And just from a friendship standpoint, we had become such good friends that to share the stage with, you know, somebody that's both a really close friend and somebody that's on that level was, it was just a dream come true. And it was about then that the reality hit that I wasn't actually that good. <laughs> and that was like, that would have been yeah. really good to know about five minutes before. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so, well, so then I, I just started putting in the work of as, as much, uh, as many open mics as I possibly could starting to figure out what was my unique voice going to be. We had been really encouraging me. I had been doing kind of observational stuff in business school. And then I got married. I, you know, we had baby on the way and he's like, look, you've got to open yourself up on stage and that's where you're going to really find uh, that the audience is going to, is going to be coming to you and actually respond to what you're doing. And so that's what I tried to do. I I would say uh, probably half of my material was uh, in Vegas at the time was about becoming a father and, uh, and about how, you know, there's maybe a little bit of observational stuff. And then there was some, some stuff when growing up in the Midwest and, um, I knew that I, I just I knew Louis's audiences, right? So I kind of knew about what they would what they would be looking for, and I was a clean comic, right? um, yeah. so I kind of knew what worked well in opening for Louis as well. So I kind of developed that material, and then I I did three nights in Vegas that went great, and then I just every once in a while I'd get up on stage when I could, I'd host an event or something, uh, would give more and more speeches to kind of larger audiences from a business standpoint, and I found that that comedy background always helped. Um, and then, uh, whenever Louis would come out to uh, New England, um, I, he'd let me open for him out here as well. And so I was able to have a bunch uh-huh. of friends kind of come on and see, and we had some pretty iconic theaters in, in New England, right? Yeah. Like there was one theater, I remember where, uh, we walk in and the dressing room has a big plaque on the sign saying, this was Liz Taylor's dressing room in 1946. Wow. <laughs> and it didn't look like it had That's... been cleaned since then. Yeah. Right? <laughs> pretty sure the furniture was the yeah. same. But it was those kinds of theaters. So it was just kind of cool to sure. to have that experience. 
Um, and it was a lot of fun. So I like my material kind of evolved into being much more about fatherhood. And, um, and Louis' material was interesting in that it was always about uh, growing up and his relationship with his, parent, with his parents, but he wasn't a parent himself. And so to have somebody kind of get that out of the way before he goes on was actually right. helpful. Um, so that's where I think it meshed really well. Um, but I had no illusion. Like it was a struggle for me to get up to 10 minutes and oh, yeah. he would just move an audience for 75 minutes and in a way that looked sure. effortless. Did you, um, so like, obviously like, it, like you were able to kind of, you know, work with Louie and, and open for Louie, but I, uh, you know, always curious kind of if you had any notable bombs, like we, you know, obviously like it is a very painful road to get to be, yeah. um, like yeah. a confident comedian, even at that, uh, is there yeah. a, a show yeah. or even a, a mic that sticks out to you that was just maybe the worst one? This is one that you always will remember and one that just it, it could either be the worst bomb because of the weight that was put on it or maybe like you threw up <laughs> on stage or whatever the case. But is there just one? That sticks out? <laughs> yeah, no, there absolutely was. So this was back. I mentioned I was hosting this one nighter. Um, so this was called Club Electra in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Mm. And Club Electra was like a dance club six nights a week, stand-up comedy one night a week, right? And so the stage was about, it was probably six to seven feet off the ground. And it was clear that it it was set up for a band, right? There was no question it was set up for a band. And then you kind of go off the stage and there's a catwalk that goes up and the catwalk goes all the way around the room. And then you got these tables that they brought onto the dance floor just for that one night. And so the, like the setup was absolutely awful. And there's one night I remember, like I thought my material was pretty good, but I walk in and there's like in the parking lot, just a sea of gun rounds, right? <laughs> like there was, it was nothing, nothing but, um, but pickup trucks. And I look out on, from the stage and it's like mullet bill, right? And I'm oh. like, and I start getting myself nervous because like, this is a different audience. This is not the audience I've seen mm-hmm. in business school. And I start getting myself nervous. And so then the delivery starts to slip a little bit. And looking back on it, my material was not that great, right? It was like, I was doing some material about uh, about working in an office and what it's like to work in a cubicle. And looking out in that audience, I should have seen very quickly that not many of those people are working in cubicles every day. Yeah, yeah you got to have far, farmer like, humor or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or at least a, a little, yeah, I, I, you know, or, or humor about living, uh, like living in New Hampshire and kind of something that Louis always said, you got to have something that brings you all together and makes you mm-hmm. one of them. And I didn't do that. And it was very quickly evident, right? They weren't mm-hmm. laughing. I hear the, I hear the, you know, the, the beer bottles clinking. I look mm-hmm. over, I'll never forget this. I'll look over and, and I mentioned there's that catwalk. So there's like stairs going up to the catwalk. catwalk. Well, underneath the stairs, there's a guy sitting there knitting. Oh my God. <laughs> knitting. Knitting. Knitting at a stand. So I'm looking anywhere for safety, right? Because when you're on stage and bombing, there's nothing worse than that feeling. And I always kind of look to look to my right and uh for like somebody that I can hone in on that's laughing and that'll give me confidence. And I'm usually really high energy when I'm hosting a show, um, trying to trying to get the energy up. And if you're really high energy and the audience is not, it can be just a really tough combination. So I look over and this guy is literally sitting there knitting. And the best I could do was like a, sh- a shoulder jump out of him, right? If like, if there was something that was just a little bit funny, yeah. I could get like a yeah. little shoulder jump and that was it. I couldn't get anything the rest of the night. So I announced the middle, the middle goes up. 
he did a little bit better. And then I come back on stage for another like five minutes to try to get the crowd. And it was just as bad. And that's when I started getting heckled. And I, you know, there Dang. are people I, I, I'll never like from the back of the room, get off the stage. We didn't, we didn't pay to see you. Wow. Like the, the movies. <laughs> so, that's what my, that's yeah, so, so funny. It was, it was totally out of it. So then I'm like, all right, something here so i put out instead of being five minutes it was like four minutes but i instead of just giving into it i did kind of start start ripping i didn't attack that guy specifically but i did try to switch up the material a little bit to at least get a few folks on my side and then i brought up the headline and i just like beads of sweat coming down and so i talked to one of the uh um uh one of the uh, waitresses while the headline was up and I was like, this is a brutal audience. Did you see that guy knitting? <laughs> and, and she was like, honey, uh, that's nothing. That is absolutely nothing. She said, the guy that owns Club Electra also owns a strip club across the river. That same guy shows up and knits at the strip club. Oh, my that's God. That's a sight to see. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, it's not you then. He just knits. That's no, his exactly. thing. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, like, you should be up on stage. That was a great yeah. line. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> Just the town knitter. He just goes to places where yeah, uh, you'd expect some feedback right. and knits. That's so funny. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So, yeah. So, it was, you know, it was a one-nighter in the middle of New England. And um, and we got some pretty decent comedians. Um, it was there, there were some folks that had been doing this for a really long time that were really adept at dealing with the one-night crowds, which are just kind of notorious for being uh, for being tough. And, you know, I, I talked, I, I, like, it, it was a night that humbles you. It's definitely stuck with me. Um, but I think the fact that I didn't fully give in, I was frustrated by it, right? There's no question, but I didn't fully give in. I was kind of proud of it as well. Um, because it's so easy when things start sliding, it's so easy to just quiet absolutely anything. And then it gets worse. And, and then you're making fun of the audience. Well, then there, none of them are on your side and that, right. It's so easy to go down that route. And I didn't. Um, and so I was proud of myself for that, even though the night didn't go well by any measure, I yeah. was proud that I didn't that I didn't slip into that. I didn't respond in that way. And so I think I ended with a couple people on my side, but definitely not the majority. <laughs> yeah. And you probably helped that gentleman knit, you know, in peace. You know, I think if you oh, would have been funny, you would have distracted him from knitting. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, whether I'm curious if you or um, whether it's, uh, any of of your uh wisdom or louis wisdom but um curious if you had any um maybe advice to people whether they are bombing like that or if they just want to if there's maybe just general advice you could give to comics was there anything that louis kind of instilled in you or anything that you just kind of picked up um throughout the years that you think is like vital or maybe the most important piece um to that you carry with you as a comic yeah. So, uh, so this was, this was what the Ted talk was about, right? The Ted talk was really kind of an homage to, to Louis and the, and the lessons that I learned from him. So one that I would pick out from uh, the, the Ted talk was called leading with laughter. Um, one that I would pick out from there was I remember seeing uh, Louis perform in front of like a celebrity audience at a benefit show uh, one week. It was like, it was Louis and James Brown were back to back on stage. It was a Larry King a heart foundation benefit and as we called it the hardest working man in show business, but the laziest man in show business. Right. <laughs> so it was like, that's a, that odd, that industry audience is a tough crowd. It was a couple hundred people. So it wasn't a real big room. It was like, they're all having dinner while he's performing and he's opening for James Brown, which doesn't 
like it was just a, a weird audience. And then the next week he's performing in front of a sold out 4,000 seat theater in Minneapolis where everybody loves him. And I, and I think it was like two weeks or three weeks prior to that, we were at, uh, we were in at a, a casino in New Mexico and it was on the science that it was very clear that bingo night was really big. Like this was a big deal. And they were scrapping the bingo night for just one night so that Louis Anderson could take the stage. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't have like, they didn't have a dressing room. They didn't, they had set up a little stanchion that was about six feet tall. Louis is six, three. Right. So like Mm -hmm. he couldn't stand up behind it. And that was supposed to be his, like where he's waiting. Half the audience could see him waiting to go on stage. Yeah. And there were, I swear, there were a couple people in the back of the room with bingo dabbers that were disappointed yeah. that bingo night was canceled. <laughs> and he gets off the stage. I'm like, those are, these are three, couldn't find more different venues. And he put the same amount of effort into all of them. He got a very similar audience response from all of them. He killed across all of it. And, uh, and I talked about it later. I'm like, Louis, I, how on earth do you do that? How do you get just as up perform in front of a few hundred folks that expected to see bingo as you do performing in front of a sold out 4,000 seat theater or in front of a bunch of celebrities that are kind of peers of yours. And what he said always stuck with me because I think there's applicability across every aspect of life, which was, look, I can't control the venue that hired me. I can't control how much publicity they put into getting people to show up. I can't control uh, you know, what, what the mic looks like. I can't control what the, the sound system is, but I got full control over the experience that that audience has once they sit down in that seat. So that's what I focus on. And I thought it was, it was really insightful because I think it's so easy for all of us, whether it's business leaders or just in our daily lives to get really wrapped up in complaining about the things that we can't control rather than focusing on the things we can and I've just found it to be really, really helpful advice. It's helpful for comedians because you always see comedians at the back of the comedy uh, comedy club complaining about stuff that was, you know, it's not their fault that they bombed, right? It had nothing with their material or their delivery. It was someone else's fault that they bombed. Well, Louie would shoot that down immediately, right? It was absolutely your fault. You got to own it. Yep. Right? Because yep. you got to control the it's... things you can control. And, uh, and that's the case, uh, like, I would say that's the case as a, as a father, um, that's the case as a spouse, that's the case, uh, you know, as somebody's son, like in every environment you are, whether it's professional or personal, it's so easy to get sucked into making excuses for the things you can't control reality, man, the energy is so much better spent on the things you can't control. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely true as well. I don't think I've, I try not to ever blame, maybe when I was younger in comedy, I I would blame the audience or yeah, like you said, like the microphone, like the the acoustics in the room or some stupid shit like that. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's like really great insights. And so are, are you, uh, are you now a retired stand up comic then? Are you still, do you do any mics anymore? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. I, so unfortunately, um, we lost Louie a few months ago and I felt really fortunate to be, I spent a lot of time with him and kind of the six months as he was going through chemo and, and a lot of the treatment. Um, so I really, I felt really fortunate to be able to be there as a friend to him uh, over that time. It was a really meaningful time 
um, I think in the friendship and it's hard to imagine going back up on stage. Yeah. Uh, I might one day, I just haven't decided yet. I don't know. Yeah. I'm also, you know, also have three little kids that are taking up a lot yeah. of time, but again, back to the yeah. excuses, right? <laughs> um, I don't, yeah. I think the reality is it getting back up on stage that first time is going to be hard when I know that I don't have that friend waiting in the wings to support yeah. me when I did well or support me when I didn't do well. Yeah. We'll see. Totally. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm, I'm the people, the folks were wondering at home, so we had to get the question out there. So, um, Survey says, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to to Louis on Family Feud. Um, well, uh, th- thanks for uh, sharing your story, Dave. This was it was great getting to kind of hear all your trials and tribulations and all the great insights you've learned, um, you know, with and without Louis. Um, is there anything you wanted to plug? Where could people follow you on social? Do you want people to follow you on social? You're, you're a dad now. And, you know, if you want, they can add you on LinkedIn, sure. maybe, yeah, maybe that's a better it. approach. At DG right field is, uh, my Twitter handle. And then, uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, you can find me there. Oddly enough, I'm doing a lot of, uh, a lot of commenting on the labor market these days okay. and trying to provide a bit of a humorous take on the labor shortage. How that's even possible? Like those Hilarious. are sentences I would have ever expected, <laughs> but <laughs> here we are, right? This is yeah. where we're at at this point, and uh, I find it to be a lot of fun. So, kind of been able to appear on NPR and CNBC and kind of a bunch of different venues a lot. So you might see me pop up in that venue, but when I do, I've always got uh, kind of a background in stand-up. That's awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much for for joining again. It was great hearing. Uh, your story about, you know, how you came to be and everything. And, uh, make sure everybody make sure you go check out Dave's, uh, Ted talk. Uh, what's it called again? Leading with laughter. Leading with laughter. Leading yep. with laughter it's on YouTube. Yeah. Make sure you guys check it out. Dave Gilbertson. Thank you again. Once again for joining. We'll see you guys next time on the next look who's bombing now podcast.